This special edition of In The Company was recorded at Donkey Wheelhouse in Melbourne on Tuesday the 15th of August 2017 in front of a live audience of 50 women as part of the Women in Business Week of the Victorian Small Business Festival. Based on my book The Leap Stories, this event featured a panel of three women who had taken the leap in their careers to start their own businesses and who were keen to share their experiences and insights. On the panel was Emma Kate Codrington of Emma Kate Co, Kate Vandermeer of The Super Cool, and Madeline Dorr of Extraordinary Routines. This episode is great for anyone considering starting their own business, side gig, or would like to be a bit braver in their working life. I hope you enjoy this special episode, and if you'd like to purchase your own copy of the Leap Stories book, please visit ofkin.com forward slash leap. Welcome. My name's Tess McCabe. I am the lady behind Creative Minds, which is a small publishing company based here in Melbourne. Small as in it's just me, which I'm sure a lot of you can relate to. Myself and Kylie collaboratively published the book that you're holding, her book, The Leap Stories. And so that's my connection to tonight. And uh, I also have a few other books which you can see on your left. If any of those are of interest, please come and see me after the talk. I'm just here really to do a few housekeeping things. Importantly, we'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. So we'd like to acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional owners of the land which we live, learn and work and pay our respect to their elders, past and present, and the elders from other communities who might be here today. We also want to say thanks to um, a couple of friends who have sponsored us, Remedy Kombucha, which I'm, a couple of you have probably enjoyed. They're providing our beverages tonight and also Tom Organic. So um, Amy Marks, who started Tom, is one of the women profiled in the book. An incredible company providing sustainable, ecologically minded and ethical sanitary products for women. Um, we've got some samples of their products just as you came in at the little registration desk there. Please pick some up if you haven't already and then, yeah, enjy her story because it's really quite a wonderful story of how she came to start that business. Okay, I'm going to hand it over to Kylie now and our wonderful panellists. Enjoy yourselves. Thanks, Tess. Hello, lovely ladies. Thank you so much for coming along today. It's um, such a delight to have a beautiful room of such gorgeous faces. A few little things. I'd like to firstly thank Tess for actually making this whole event possible because she was the one that said, hey, if you ever want to make the Leap Stories into a book, let me know. Um, And I went, that sounds like a damn good idea. Why don't we get together and do that? So the book that you're holding in your hands is 100% responsible because Tess took the leap to become a publisher herself. Um, So it's a nice kind Kind of you know feeding round back circle um, to to why we're actually here tonight. So thanks so much, Tess, for um, everything that you do. I'd also like to thank the Small Business Victoria team for inclusion in the festival. This is actually the Women in Business Week of the Victorian Small Business Festival. Thank you to Ashley and Nick and Barbara Cullen, who's the director of Small Business Victoria, for making tonight possible and providing this amazing venue. All right, we're going to get started in a tick, but before we do that. Can we all just take one big collective breath and arrive in the room? So breathing in and out. I always find that it's helpful just to ground our feet, arrive in the room fully and be present um, so that we can get going. The next little thing that I have, this is actually an interactive session. I'm guessing that you may not have planned for this, but I strongly believe that courage is built through our words and our actions. And so tonight I am going to ask you to start flexing your courage muscle a little bit by turning to someone that you don't know, perhaps someone behind you or in front of you, and just within 30 seconds, each, 
So one person gets 30 seconds, the next person gets 30 seconds. Talk about the leap that is brewing on your mind as to why you're here tonight. So you have 30 seconds just to turn to somebody you don't know. So be brave, use your words. Take another breath in if you need, another fortifying breath if we need, to turn to someone that you don't know and let them know about your leap that you've got on your mind. Go. All right, ladies. I hope you remember your name of your new friend. Did you ask their name? And if you've forgotten, I give you permission to ask again. Yes. I never get it locked in the first time. All right, let's come back. So you now already have made a leaping buddy. So if you feel so inclined, feel free to exchange some details so that you can keep each other accountable. We're going to do another little thing at the end about what you might do in the next two weeks concerning a leap, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So we better get these lovely ladies up here because this is actually really all while we're here. So I'm going to introduce them one by one, kind of like come on down, sale of the century style. So I'm going to start with Emma Kate Codrington, who leapt from Adelaide to London to work as a graphic designer, where after not having her visa renewed, had to land back in Australia, back to hometown of Adelaide, where she decided to take a leap to start her own stationery brand, Emma Kate Co. Alongside that, Emma's beautiful Instagram feed and travel blog writing have seen her become a digital influencer. In 2016, in an effort to fund a new diary product, Emma also launched a Kickstarter campaign, which saw her raise 50G um, to get her product to market. And I do believe you're doing it again this year. Not kickstarter, but the launch, yeah. Yes, excellent. And now we're lucky enough to have her living in Melbourne. That was the other leap she made to come on over here. So please welcome Emma. Good timing, Charles. Well timed. The reason why Kate leapt to Melbourne just walked in the room. Kate Vandermeer is the owner of The Super Cool, an internationally award-winning homewares lifestyle and kids retail outlet. Before starting The Super Cool, Kate had a long career in fashion retail, consulting and teaching. Inspired by the idea of vintage peddlers travelling from town to town with a mobile trove. Come on in, ladies. Kate pulled her consultancy business back to part-time while she started a series of pop-up stores around Melbourne before anyone was doing pop-ups. Today, Kate and hubby... She got hubby on the payroll after a few years. Both work full-time in the Supercool, which has a flagship store at the South Melbourne Market, which has won several awards and only operates four days a week in retail. How's that for a smart move? She also has an online store, occasional pop-ups and a string of creative collaborations. Welcome. Thank you. And finally, Madeline. Madeline Dorr is a freelance writer, interviewer and founder of the blog Extraordinary Routines, where she explores the daily routines of creatives across different fields. Before leaping to her own creative career, she was the full-time deputy editor of Arts Hub. Um, She's a regular contributor to the Design Files and has been published in Fairfax newspapers, Kinfolk, Yen, The Big Issue, Womankind and several others. Madeline regularly engages in social experiments, which she writes about, including a 30-day habit experiment, a dating habit experiment, and a year of meeting with strangers. She also has a second Instagram account called Mortality Musings, which just reminds me not to procrastinate because I'm going to die. (laughs) So there we go. And there's something about that actually in the very back of the book from Martha Beck as well. So because you might as well leap because you're going to die anyway. So... (laughs) So welcome. Thank you. Round of applause for Melanie. <laughs> All right. 
so how we're going to run tonight, I have a few questions that I want to um, propose to these ladies and then we all have a series of Q&As at the end and we actually have prizes for people who ask questions. We are totally bribing you for interactivity, <laughs> but it'd be well worth your time. So I actually just wanted to start off um, and just say thank you for doing this and for coming along and being brave enough to share your stories um, with us. But I'm really interested to understand why you chose the particular leap that you did. And maybe we can start with you, Emma. Okay. My leap happened because I had no other choice. What I wanted in life couldn't happen. I was living in London and I had no choice but to leave. And so I thought, well, that life strategy didn't work out. So I'm just going to do what I've always wanted to do. And I have no life accountability currently. So I'm just going to go for it. And I had always loved paper. So I thought, um, I'm just going to launch in and launch a stationary brand. So working from a graphic designer, you decided I'm not going to do this for anyone else anymore. I'm going to do it for myself. Yeah, I worked in publishing, and I, which was great, and I, I loved the full-time job and the nine-to-five and the paid holidays and all of those things. But ultimately, working for myself has always been um, the end goal, and I didn't really have a timeline attached to that. But when life played out the way that it did, I thought, well, now's a great time. And so London kicked you out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Officially. Yeah. Yes. Officially. Um, yeah. yeah, very ungracefully um, from my end as well. I, I did not want to leave and I, um, I didn't do so, yeah, very gracefully. But I just decided that life had to happen that way. So I may as well embrace the other side. And um, as it turned out, um, Australia is pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> so it's taking a bad situation going, well, how could I reframe yeah, this to work? running with opportunity and, and just, yeah, reframing negative yeah. to positive. Yeah, great. And what about you, Kate? I've leapt heaps of times. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm a serial leaper, yeah. but not in the Olympic sense. So firstly, hello, and thanks everyone for coming because it'd be a bit sad if we weren't talking to anyone in the room. <laughs> so thank you. So the most recent leap being the super cool. Um, my husband and I on our honeymoon had talked about like, let's work together. Let's do something together. We've got such good skill sets. Let's do something. And honestly, we'd go for walks everywhere after work and we'd complain about our jobs and we were just trying to work out what we could do. And there were many, 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 any dodgy ideas there. But on our honeymoon, we came up with the super cool idea. And it was mainly from looking around lots of great gift stores that really had an incredible vibe that we kind of thought, let's make this germ turn into something and be excited by it. So we basically leapt because um, I was running a consultancy, which was a leap from a previous leap. And I decided that I wanted to work with my husband and I thought, let's try and give it a go. And and so I started at part-time and my husband started at part-time with a full-time job where he travelled heaps. So there wasn't a lot of sleep the first year. Yeah. 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 And so that was before your intern arrived? Correct. Yes. Three and a half year old intern, yes. 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 So we, we wanted to work together because ultimately we wanted to co-parent and create a life where we could be parents, we could run a business, but it would all be cohesive, which, you know, that's the dream before you have children. <laughs> and then after you have children, you realise that doesn't exist. So you've then got to find a new way to embrace having children and working together. So it is great. He's a 100% a great father who's very present and I do my best to be there and be present as well um, but we definitely co-parent where he's South American so he's very big into the um, bringing up children that's a big part of their culture so and you really minimize the risk in the beginning with absolutely the business yes so we first began by doing pop-ups there was very little overhead we took money that we'd saved and thought let's just give it a go we're both you know I was doing it part-time so I could fall back and and try other things if it didn't work out. 
I took on a job that I didn't really want to do consulting because I knew that that would bring in money to fund this leap, whereas previously I was more picky and wanted to do things that spoke to my soul, but I could see that the, the end goal was worth it. And my husband, about a year into it, decided he could no longer be stretched in every direction. And, um, and we thought, let's just give it a go. You know, worst case scenario, we fail. So what? Let's just go and get another job. So we were just, let's give it a go. Particularly before children, we, were, we thought, why not? Yeah. And you, so you straddled from um, fashion retailing to homeware retailing. Correct. So I'd actually worked with a few clients um, in setting up pop-up retails and, and guiding them from a marketing, social media point of view. And, um, and so I had some experience. I'd worked in retail off and on since I was 15. So I, I knew the goal. I'd done some trend forecasting with WGSN, which which is like a trend forecasting agency. And I, I knew there was an opportunity. We, we kind of, both my husband and I, both realised retail had become, you know, this thing where it was with Meyer and DJs, it was always on sale. It was always open. It was always being ignored when you walked into the store. It was someone was on their phone or someone was like, oh, yeah, that looks great on you, you know. <laughs> like just completely boring, terrible, soulless experience. And we thought there's got to be a way to just totally turn this on its head and be less available, a bit like dating. If you're always there, you know, <laughs> you're a stalker. Yeah. Yep. Whereas right. if you're less available, people want you, right? Yeah, that's, that's the theory. Absolutely. So, um, so we thought, why not try that with retail and be less available, be open less and make people hunt for the experience. Yep. And Twitter had just kind of started gaining momentum. We're talking six years ago, which isn't that long, but in social media land is ancient. And people started following us on Twitter. And then I think Instagram had only just begun and we were back in the um, in those early filter phases. Do you remember? Hip, hipstamatic, thank you. Um, we were in the hipstamatic. Everything was a little bit 70s. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's how it all started and people just started following us around with social media. So, yeah, yeah we were lucky. Great. Thank but you. it was very, it was very leap without any major strategy. Yeah, which is a re- reoccurring theme actually in a yeah. lot of the stories that I write about. Which is, brings me to you, Madeline. Mm. So talk about your leap from your dream job. Ah, from so I, I guess the leap from the full time job at Arts Hub was partially a whim, but also partially quite pragmatic. Um, the whim part of it was seeing Miranda July, who's a filmmaker and artist. She spoke in Melbourne last year. And one thing that really resonated was this idea that we have to remind ourselves again and again that we're free in our creative practice. So we can actually kind of find ourselves in our own little boxes and uh, have kind of rules that we've created for ourselves that trap us in a way. So I should remember, forget, remember, forget. Yeah, remember, forget, that right? you're, you're actually free to do what you want. Yeah. Um, and while I landed the, the dream job and I thought that that's what I should be doing and I, I should be following this trajectory that kind of really stirred something in, uh, wait a second, I can actually break away from that if I want to and I can explore something else. So that was sort of resonating and marinating in my mind. And then the pragmatic part of it was that I was working on Extraordinary Routines as a side project alongside my work and I started getting people approach me for the profiles that I was doing, which follows a day in the life of a creative. And they were saying, could you write this for our graduate brochure or uh, our, our own personal blog? And so these were commercial paid opportunities and I thought maybe I could actually support myself doing this um, instead of working full-time as a journalist and just kind of have some time to play around with different ideas. So that was the pragmatic leap, seeing that there was a net there, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so a side gig. So started up on the side just to mm. test the waters and see what it looked like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, just I went down to four days a week at Arts Hub and that other day I would um, spend on client work or pitching freelancing ideas. 
mm. and that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. So that asking for that to grade four days, how mm. was that? I had a really good relationship with my editor, so I was very lucky. She saw that uh, she originally hired me because of what I'd done with Extraordinary Routines as a side project. She was quite impressed by um, someone sort of starting something themselves and seeing it through. Um, so that got me the job, but then she also saw it grow as I grew into the role as well. So she understood that my time was getting sort of different demands and that kind of thing. Mm. So that's a really interesting thing, though, that your side gig actually got you the full-time gig mm. on the other side. So that proactivity and self-starting, self-drive. Absolutely. I think that I came, that I started it because I couldn't find the job that I wanted. So I created the job that I wanted in a small way, mm. even if I was doing it in my own free time. Um, and I wasn't getting paid for doing it. Um, it was much like kind of a self-initiated internship and it actually led to the work that I wanted. Oh, I love that. Did you hear that? I just love that. <laughs> I couldn't find the job that I wanted, so I created it in, in the way that I wanted it. Um, that's definitely how I feel that mm. my, my leap happened. It was like I just I want to be more flexible, um, have more control over my own time and run this how I want to run it with working with the kind of people that I want to work with on the kind of work that I want to be doing. So, yeah, absolutely fantastic. All right, great. Now, in the book, I have deliberately left out any reference really to passion because there's a lot of rhetoric in this space about find your passion and it'll all work out, um, unless you've read Elizabeth Gilbert's Magic Lessons, and which I highly recommend that you read. Um, I didn't actually feel very passionate about what I was doing. I was kind of just burnt out from my role and just thought, I can't do this anymore. I just need some space to figure it out. Um, probably took me a little while out of doing that to find actually what lit me up again. So I, want, I was just interested in your take, passion versus curiosity versus something else as a part of a contributing factor to your leap. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think it's a bit like when someone says to you, so what inspires you? Um, you know, well, that's life inspires you. I mean, you can't say it's one designer or it's one musician or it's one experience. I think passion can be anything and passion is curiosity as well. But for me, I've been passionate several times in my life about different career ambitions and I've created a lot of ideal jobs I would like as well because I was passionate. Um, a classic example, which I kind of look back and have a bit of a giggle about now, but at the time I was gung-ho. Um, I was 15, I lived in the country in Shepparton. There's no fashion in Shepparton. Um, the fashion is Blundstones and, and, you know, keeping it very country. And um, I really wanted to be the editor of Vogue. <laughs> um, so I wrote a letter to the current editor at the time. So this is, uh, what's this about, that, in the late 80s, every single month for a year and eventually I think her assistant who opened all the mail got sick of seeing my name come up and sent me a letter back and said, fine, you can come and do work experience. And <laughs> honestly, the whoops from the country probably came to Melbourne and then via Sydney. So I, I really believe the... Pa I mean, possibly in this day and age that's a bit stalkery, but back then when you had to handwrite the letter no, and it was an email... No, I think that's tenacity. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, I got to do work experience at Vogue and it was like life-changing for me. This, you know, I really like... You, the preparation for the outfits to come to work experience was just <laughs> no like... No pressure. Next oh. And I was like, mum, mum, I have to get that dress because I'm going to be in Sydney and there's all these fashion people and she's like, whatever. So, um, so, you know, there's just... 
I think it comes back down to passion. And, and I do think if you feel that passion, like it's the whole, I can't go to sleep when the idea first sets a light in you and you have to write down heaps of things in a journal or in your notes in your phone, it's that thing that keeps staying with you that you can't let go. That's passion. Mm-hmm. Curiosity is like, let's try it. Before the super cool, Nuni and I decided to go and do a cafe course in Sydney to learn what it was like to run a cafe for two days. Um, and we totally realised at the end of that, we're not passionate about cafe ownership. You know, we really don't care about food. We really don't want to wash up. And um, what we're keen on is the experience and the and the excitement and the music and the sharing and the idea of how it's going to be decor, <laughs> which is nothing to do with running a cafe, really, at the, the heart and soul of it. So sometimes it's about pursuing things and seeing if that's right. So we went and did the course, but it was money really well spent because we didn't go and buy, you know, or, or rent a lease um, for a space and spend all the money you'd have to spend so on setting up a cafe. Yeah, and that's that's so wise, the idea of being able to actually run a little experiment or to place a little bet without yeah. having to have too much invested on the line. So that for me was curiosity. Yes. We realised it wasn't our passion. Yeah. Passion for me comes back down to is it something that just will get you up even when it's really tough and when you're financially, like, on the edge? Is it something that you'd be willing to forego a festival or, you know, an awesome catch-up with your friends who's 30th, 20th, 40th it is? You know, it's got to be the thing that just... It does not matter what's going on in your life. You still want to get up in the morning and do it. So did you guys have that kind of burning desire to do your thing or not? You're, you're going, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're just going, yeah. I did, but I think I also lived by curiosity because I didn't really have an end goal with, I just knew that I had to go all in and start something, but I didn't really know what that would look like. And I think the curiosity is what got me to the launch point. And I think it was just following the feeling and just really going, yeah, that feels right, I'm going to go there or no. Um, but the passion was underlying all of that. I really wanted to make a difference and I really wanted to live a life on my terms and all of those non-negotiables that I said after London, I'm going to really live by that now, no question. But I didn't have the end goal and I think even now I don't know where my brand's going. I don't really have a five-year grand plan or some everything figured out. I just, uh, if something feels right, I go for it and just see how it feels and I'm not too, you know, long-termed. Long-termed. Yeah. <laughs> Long-termed. You We're going to go with that for tonight. Long-termed. Um, what about you, Madeline? Oh, I just, I love this distinction between curiosity being kind of the starting point and then the passion and something that's, that's something you can grow into. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm, I'm still very much at the curiosity stage. I don't think I've had the experience in my life of is something being all-consuming. I've often kind of been envious of people who kind of yeah. can sit at the piano for hours or um, tinker away with a craft or something because um, I've never had that kind of full-on jump in and dive. But, um, yeah, just following any kind of thread of curiosities, is, it can still render some really interesting experiences and you can still kind of follow through and, and see where it leads. Yeah, because I get worried about the passion message because if you don't have passion, then what? Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's where the Liz Gilbert piece comes in and says, well, what are you curious about? Because curiosity doesn't actually owe you anything. You know, whereas passion, you feels like it owes you something. You know, if you do it, it, it better, you know, it'll work out. When That may not be the case. So I love that, you know, because I feel like, as I said, you know, it took me a little while of following my curiosity. and goes, well, what would happen if I just went and, you know, somebody referred me to talk to somebody and I started consulting? What would that look like? 
and that then kind of had a knock-on effect for a whole lot of other things. But just on that, I don't think passion has to be forever either. I think That's you can right. have short-term passions. Yeah. Like, like love a, affairs. Yeah, like exactly. At the end of the day. Yeah. It, you know, That's like it. we may, you know, I'm sure the super cool will end at some point and then there'll be something else we'll be passionate about. Yeah. And I think that's okay. You yeah, know? take I the pressure off. I think yep. it's good to have short-term passions. That sounds yes. a bit... Yeah, but you get where I'm from. Write a dating from. book as your yeah. next <laughs> short-term passion? Currently. I've only really dated one man, but anyway. <laughs> we can have that discussion afterwards and talk about your dating <laughs> habit project um, to get a little bit more into there. Um, so I love... So one of the things I just want to cover off with that is that it, just because you leap once doesn't mean that it's the end or that that's the final decision. So, you know, it, one leap tends to lead to another, tends to lead to another, tends to lead to another. The, str- the more you do, the stronger you get, the more willing you are to, to just experiment and to think that I've got choices, you know, to remember and forget, remember and forget that I've actually got choices. Um, so in some of the work that I do with um, uh, my coaching clients, I often find that they have a really negative voice inside their head or they forget um, that they do have a choice in what they can do. And it's often the distinction between the inner critic voice and I think we all can hear what that inner critic voice sounds like. Not enough, not smart enough, can't do it, too risky, you don't have what it takes, it's not going to work, blah, 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 blah. As opposed to an inner mental voice which guides you into going, it'll be okay. So I'm just wondering, um, how do, we all have an inner critic. Nobody is, gets out of jail free on that front. But So I'm just wondering how you guys deal with your inner critic when it comes to take, doing something out of the box and courageous. I think for me, I always, when the inner critic pipes up, I look back retrospectively and go, hey, um, you've done this before, you've done that before, you've, you've got this. And quite often, especially with travel, I'll find myself in a situation and I'll go, oh, no, I, I don't know where I'm going. And then I'm, hang on a minute, I've, I've lived overseas before by myself. I've travelled to a place that I don't speak the language and you're nervous about catching the Melbourne Metro. Like, what? And, and, but I do, I still get nervous and I have to just remember that and I find the confidence there by going, I've done this before in a different way. But I think that's, that's how I combat the critic. Yeah. Yeah, I wallow with my critic. <laughs> I love to hang out with my critic. Um, and does my it have crit- a name? <laughs> uh, it does. It does. Um, Shelley, because <laughs> it's this is real. Shelley comes and hangs out with me, and it's Shelley because it's the shell of Madeline. Um, it's just ah. <laughs> me, the shell of a human, um, and it, it leads to things like procrastination and complete kind of. Uh, getting in my own way and being a total blocker to any idea or creative project. Um, and the only way to get rid of Shelley is to like give her other people to hang out with. Um, so that's when I kind of speak with friends um, and other creative people. Um, I got into a real funk when I just started freelancing because I kind of saw what I was doing day to day and I thought I'm not doing enough and I'm sleeping in and I'm watching Netflix during the day and I I just kind of thought what I'm doing this all wrong and the antidote to that was actually speaking to other freelancers and they all said uh yeah that's freelancing like we all do that and we kind of had this kind of competition of no I'm the worst freelancer no no I am and so it kind of um they had their Shelleys I had my Shelleys and they all just like hung out and we got rid of them um yeah so I think it's just knowing that um, uh, you are being really critical of yourself, but also everyone else is too, and you can kind of support each other and find your way out that way. Yeah, so hang out with your tribe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. What about um, you? I guess over time I, I've realised the inner critic's essential 
because that's the only way to find your inner mentor. So for me, listening more to my inner mentor is about finding the space to be quiet and to find quiet moments in my day, which is a challenge. Um, But I make better business decisions. I'm better as a mum. I'm better as a friend. I'm better as a wife when I have more quiet time, even if it's five minutes here and there or a bath for myself, not for my daughter, and um, even just 10 minutes to meditate, whatever it is, just to find some quiet time. I've made much better business decisions since I've found quiet time, and my quiet time gives me my intuition back, and my intuition helps me guide the business. So the first five years, so we're up to six years in October, so until very recently, um, (laughs) five years of of business, I really just listened to my critic. I was just chasing my tail. I was like, oh, adrenaline, adrenaline, woo, let's do this. Um, And it it was just, you know, running from one thing to another. So some very interesting things have been in and out of our store as a result. (laughs) So for me, the mentor, finding the inner mentor is about finding quiet time so I can listen to my intuition. Yeah, beautiful. And I saw a mem on... um Instagram, and it said, my alone time is for everyone's safety. Absolutely. I just thought that was just amazing. But yeah, yeah, but it is that kind of, I need to be able to hear myself Mm. out of all of that stuff, because there is somebody who is wiser and more reassuring that is there if I give them the opportunity to listen. And if you don't have that voice, um, come and talk to me afterwards, because I've got a really good resource to help you find your inner mentor voice. This episode of In The Company is brought to you by the 2017 Small Business Festival, which is run by the Victorian Government in Australia and is designed to help startups and small to medium businesses go from strength to strength. Check out the festival website to find free and affordable events all across Melbourne and regional Victoria throughout the months of August and early September. There's over 500 events, including workshops, webinars, mentoring and podcasts just like this one. Visit festival.business.vic.gov.au to learn, grow and connect. One of the things that we've touched on briefly in the beginning was how did you leverage what you already knew to take into what your leap became and how did you fill in the gaps? I can talk about my stranger experiment perhaps for that yeah, one. Great. Um, so what I, my gaps were clients, I didn't have them, I, I had very <laughs> few of them, um, and also understanding how freelancing worked, like how do I, I I'd had some experience but being the, a deputy editor it was kind of reversing the situation. So um, to kind of fill the gaps I was committed to meeting a new person every week and a lot of those people were in the same kind of industry that I was in so it meant that It was this experiment to kind of broaden my social circles, but also kind of pick the brains of um, various freelance writers and editors and so on. And from that experiment, I ended up meeting 78 people in one year. And I keep meeting a stranger every week or someone who's kind of, you know, a distant acquaintance. Um, And I would say, like, to put a really rough percentage to it, I think about 65 to 70% of the corporate client work I got was from a stranger that I met Um, through that experiment. So I really recommend kind of meeting people face-to-face, not so that you can kind of of take, take, take from them, but also just introduce who you are and you never know when they might pop in, you might pop into their mind down the track. Mm -hmm. So it's patience, but it's also really putting yourself out there. Yeah, how did you make, how did you reach out to strangers? Were there people you identified and went, I'm going after them? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going after you. Um, A lot of them were through social media. Um, So I'm lucky to kind of have an engaged following and you kind of recognise the same people over and over and you kind of just 
you slide into their DMs um, and just so ask you just DM if, people on Instagram. Yeah, or send a formal email. And I yep. also have the reverse situation where people will ask if that if I would like to meet them, and it's yep. just about saying yes and being open to that too. Yeah. Um, so finding strangers came easily, and then it snowballs because you meet someone new, and then they have their circle of friends to introduce you to. Yep. So I found it was really important that if you connected with someone, to connect with them quite soon after, so that you really build a relationship rather than just you know, kind of dissipating and not really seeing them again for a while. Yeah. So that's a really great point to make. Um, I can't remember where I read about it, but it's in one of the books, the many books that I've read on, on this. But the idea of embracing the curiosity piece and just reaching out to someone, not asking for a job or asking for a referral or anything, but perhaps saying, I'm really interested in what you're doing and I'd just like to know more. Is that kind of your oh, approach? Absolutely. And, and yeah. maybe like I try to go in with how I can help someone else. Yes. Only because it takes the pressure off me, but it, yes. it also just kind of gives this nice kind of sense of generosity to the encounter. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so one every week... Uh, for the experiment, yes, and now it's, it fluctuates, but yeah, yeah, it's an average of definitely one new person a week and a coffee and or a drink and yeah, yeah, brilliant, great. What about you guys? I think business was my filling in the gaps. I had no idea about business, and I still learn a lot every day. Uh, but I think community was also integral for me. Um, not not an official strangers project, but I moved back to Adelaide where I was from, and I um, I had an Insta meet. I decided to just call in Adelaide community and connect with people and that um, became integral with launching my brand six months later. I had a launch party and, and I just, Adelaide's a really unique place where the community is everything and creative um, support is abounding and I just felt very lucky to, we had the Channel 10 newsreader MC the night and we had um, food and, and wine sponsor and all of this amazing stuff that I could never have done on my own terms. Uh, but yeah, business uh, is an ongoing pursuit. Um, creativity comes very naturally to me, so I think that's my fill in the gaps. Yeah, so you ask from your community or do you have... Yeah, and, and uh, I actually, I've had some coaching before, I've mentor, I just always love connecting with people and, and especially at trade shows, I find uh, people who are doing the same thing as me in business or at markets, um, just really connecting and making time to get to know people doing similar things. Um, has They have little tips or hacks or techniques or ideas and, and you can learn a lot that way. Yeah, so reaching out to a peer group as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Great. Kate? Um, there's probably a couple of different things. My husband comes from a business analyst background for mining companies, so totally relevant to what we're doing. <laughs> um, so he kind of brought in a lot of skill sets that I didn't have. He loves doing operations. He loves dealing with the accountant. Not many people say that. <laughs> and I was always really all about the fun stuff, like the buying and the social media and the merchandising in store. And so I was pretty rapt when he said, yeah, I'll, I'll deal with the accountant. I'm like, awesome. So we had a lot of complementary skill sets, which kind of gave us confidence to do the leap because... Often in partnerships, people want to do the same thing and then that's when conflict can arise. So I found like that worked quite well for us. Having said that, we're married and we have a child and we have a business. There's plenty of conflict. <laughs> but um, we work quite well through it and we just express ourselves and then we move on. Um, but in terms of filling in the gaps... I <sighs> I think we've just really learned and made mistakes and just tried things and our whole concept of being a pop-up was to try 
and meet different neighbourhoods and find out who our key audience was and what products sold where. And um, it was all very experimental. And when I say we went strategic, that's quite genuine. I was very strategic in my previous role consulting to clients. So I was like, right, you should try this and these are your KPIs and this is what you should be doing. And I really threw a lot of that out of the window because I wanted to follow our passion and just try it. And because it wasn't an expensive initial setup, we just thought, let's just really be guided by what people are wanting and liking and what people responded to was that we wanted to buy a product that had a story that was made by someone who had another idea that we were supporting their leap. So it was really full circle. Um, So for us, the gap thing was we're constantly finding gaps of things we don't know and so we go out and learn it and we meet lots of people at trade fairs and we've done lots of markets and you meet a lot of other kindred spirits who are also doing it tough also sick of unpacking and packing boxes and setting up trade fairs and setting up stands and then you kind of meet more people and you all want each other to help and and you all want everyone to kind of it's all about recommending it is that recommending thing and sharing and community and I think in the creative industry if you don't share then you're really sitting by yourself on on an island because it is all about sharing and the generosity from other people is what helps everyone move forward so yeah I'm curious to know if you've gone back to any of the strategic stuff after after the five years of adrenaline have worn off. <sighs> yes and no. Um, the only probably strategic thing we do now is we look back at budgets. Um, oh. And yeah, I know, <laughs> which we never had budgets, crikey. Um, we look back at budgets because we've stayed in one spot because obviously having a daughter meant that perhaps being as nomadic as we initially were was a little bit tricky, although we certainly gave that for a run for its money. Three months in after having Lola, we flew to the US because we won an award and my mum looked at me the day before we went and went, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, we're fine. So not fine. Um, that was a really tough trip. I just cried so much that trip. <laughs> so sleep deprived. Um, but we got back and we got on our feet and we just did it all again. But I, I think probably we look back now and think, okay, what are the categories we're missing? What are the things that people keep coming into the store and asking us for? That's really our gap. But that, well, no, we're still not what I would call ultra strategic. Yeah, and I think one of the things that um, I, when I'm working with a lot of startups is that they think they have to have it all worked out before they start. No. Yeah. And that's so not the case, you know. That I think, you know, I have to be strategic and I have to know, you know, all the possible things and in and outs of all of this. And, th- and that's just not true. Probably the only strategic thing I would say is good to know is cash flow. There is no doubt you need to understand your profit and loss and you need to understand what kind of money you might burn through. It depends how big or small your idea is. Yes. You probably can't be too fly by the seat of your pants about yeah. that unless you're prepared to just go out and support yourself by doing a job out of hours and that's totally what we did. Yeah, so that leads me into a question I had which was asking about how financially did you fund your leap? I moved back home. <laughs> uh, I hadn't lived home since I was 19 and I was 20. Six, I think, um, and that was a bit of a pain. Um, but mum and dad are amazing, and they're my biggest supports, and I love them dearly. But um, yeah, independence is also a key message in my life, and it was quite a bit of an ego hit to move back home. And um, yeah, but it, it was necessary and sacrifice. There's no way around launching something that you've got to go all in, and that means whatever is required. Um, and also freelancing, I, I kept freelancing with graphic design and doing lots of wedding stationery and, and anything really that came up, branding, uh, I just, I said yes to everything. And uh, that was how I funded it. Um, lived very simply and I still live simply, um, but uh, it's worth it. Yeah. 
So it wasn't an all-in-one bungee, put everything on, you know, red 26 kind of thing. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I'd always, uh, even when I lived in London, I always saved money. I'm, I've always been a really, um, I, I guess I travel a lot, but I am also very careful. And um, so I did actually have savings and I, I did put everything in, but... I had the launch party as a strategy to make that back and I broke even very quickly with the initial print run, uh, which helped me do my first trade show and, and all of these big expenses that um, it just are very scary and they still terrify me. But yeah, I think I'm just conservatively edging two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, two steps back and um, keep going forward. Yeah. What about you, Madeline? Uh, so I had um, some savings that I was just working full time. So I was I just had a savings fund that was kind of had travel written all over it. Um, but when I decided to take the leap, I thought that that would be my safe, uh, safety net fund. Uh, and so what I did with those savings is I put together a burn rate calculator. So in a spreadsheet. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Strategic. Here we go. Okay. It's like a, that a, burn a rate flow. calculator. Did we get that? <laughs> Um, so kind of a, a month before I was um, finishing up, just put in the savings amount and calculated my expenses for each month and then saw how, how long I could survive if I earned nothing. Um, and once I had that, I could just do some projected income. And so I've kept, I keep that burn rate calculator spreadsheet updated to this day. Uh, it's a really good way to see what's coming in as a freelancer, what months are looking a little bit quiet, uh, what kind of, what expenses I have going out. Um, and it, even though, so I've done a year of freelancing, I definitely haven't earned near what I was earning as a salaried worker, but it meant that I could be very aware of where my money is and I could take myself overseas. So I spent three months in New York uh, and it really was helpful to have that because when you're traveling, you could really burn through money without being aware of what you're doing. Um, so yeah, I guess that's what was quite pragmatic about my leap. I did have this safety net because freelancing can be precarious, um, but I'm just very aware of what's coming in, what's going out. Yeah, and keeping your eye on the prize then, because you know mm. what you're shooting for. If you've got your, you know, it's yeah. like having the budget. If you know mm. what you're actually shooting for, then you're more likely to go, yes, well, I, I need to go after that, or I, I need to move on. You know, yes. that opportunity. Yeah, our, f our mutual friend Fiona does. Are you, do you know how to? She does that system where she has a uh, goal income, oh, and yes. so she, it's quite a high goal income and she having that there means that she knows how many clients she needs she knows what she needs to hustle to fill in those gaps and reach her goal target income yeah which is interesting um i would also say that for my husband and i he had a really good high paying job and he was used to a certain level of lifestyle with his little frequent flyer points and getting into his <laughs> clubs and things um and we were both just like well if it doesn't work he'll go and find another job and, and I'm really like, I, I've always had savings. Dad's always drummed that in from a very young age with the Monopoly money. And, 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 it, and it's worked because I always just thought, well, if it doesn't work, I'll go back to consulting. And if worse comes to worse, I'll go and get a job in hospitality and, or, you know, to, on the side while I'm doing this. There is so, like, I'm, I really don't care. I was in between jobs when I was 22 and I just left a really awesome job at Mimco. I was like, I don't know what I want to do, but I really... I really want to do something and maybe I'll just start my own jewellery label. And so I kind of started doing that on the side. And in the meantime, I just went and worked at a factory making jewellery. So not glamorous. 
but I just didn't care because it was fueling my passion. And so I, I've, I've have always been of the belief, if you really want to do what you want to do, there's always a way. And if you're prepared to hustle, um, my husband calls it the mop test and most of our staff don't hit his mop test, which is, would they be prepared to mop a floor if you asked them to? And a lot of 21-year-olds don't want to mop a floor in a shop, apparently, according to him anyway. Um, so for me, it's like, just get down and, and make it happen and, and hustle for the money. So we were never scared about if it didn't work out or if we ran out of money. We were just like, well, we're a pop-up. We'll just, you know, obviously we had some budgets to work towards, but we just thought, well, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We weren't scared. Yeah, and so in writing the Leap Stories over the last few years, you know, I've asked this question quite a lot and it's always interesting to me, the responses, because, yes, there's the kind of like, oh, you know, I saved up or I had a bonus, but then there was like, I think um, Emma, who is in the book, Emma Fulu, she was um, living in South Africa, working for the UN, just had um, twins um, and she said, I just can't do this anymore and the family of five moved back to Melbourne into one bedroom in her mum's house house so you know I'm thinking like well if she can kind of just like go you know I can't do this there I have options you know there are more options than what you think you have if you want to make it to they, she went on Centrelink to support them while they re-established themselves and now she's doing you know great stuff with um, the Equality Institute so if there's a will there's a way and if you think that there is you don't have a choice you need to look harder because there are always lots of choices. And it's just about being humble I think at the end of the day, if you really want to pursue your passion, I mean, obviously you, you've been up against, you know, thing obstacles as has Madeline. But I think if you're willing to give it a go, then you just make it happen. It go, yeah. You go with that for a little bit, but then hopefully the abundance comes your way later and it all works out. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's the it's the capacity to go. Well, what am I happy to kind of give up in order to get a much bigger idea going in this part of my life? Um, yeah, and living more simply. Yeah. I hear you with that. So what about, you've mentioned briefly, um, each of you, your support crew. So I think it takes a village to, to take a leap. Um, it takes a village to run a business. You know, it's not just about the kids. We all need villages. T- tell me a little bit about the role that um, your village plays in helping you take a leap. Well, my mum's right here in the front row. Yay, mum. Thanks, village. <laughs> <laughs> From that, I think that um, it's a lesson that I think I've had to learn is that um, there, there can be a fine line between really supportive friends and sometimes what could be quite toxic or competitive, whether it's on your side or their side. Um, so it, it, it really is sort of finding that distinction and, and knowing that you don't have to be friends with everybody. Um, you can actually kind of keep your... Um, you, you can keep a closeness to you and um, really build trust with certain people and, mm. and so that you're not being exploited in any, any way or kind of hurting yourself by being around the wrong people. Because mm. I think you can outgrow certain relationships as you find out more about yourself. Yeah, which is completely natural and it's not um, a bad thing on either either party, but I think that we're too quick to please other people rather than thinking about what we really need from friendship. Hallelujah. Can you say that again? Too quick to please other people. <laughs> too, yeah, too quick to please other people rather than thinking about what we yeah. need from friendship and... Yeah, and saying yeah. no and that kind of thing. And maybe the different yeah. kinds of friends and relationships that we need for this yes, part of our life. exactly. There's yeah. a fruit salad of friendship out there. <laughs> Healthy and otherwise. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Kate? Uh, 
I think Emma. that travel teacher taught me a lot about uh, the people I wanted in my life and coming back, uh, a lot of friends had moved on, a lot of friends had moved overseas. I didn't really have that community that I'd left and a lot of life had changed. You think that you'll go home and everything's the same as it was when you left and it just wasn't. So it was a beautiful opportunity to find new friends and um, social media was my way of doing that and uh, it, I've met some incredible people that are my best friends now. Uh, but yeah, my parents have always been my number one support system. My mum has in business as well. She still folds all of um, my greeting cards by hand um, with her um, best friends. They drink champagne on a Wednesday night, and that's. <laughs> and if I didn't have them, I did, wouldn't have a business. Like that's so integral. Um, my dad is. Um, the mascot for Emma Kate Co at Finders Keepers Markets. He's always there. He has a little handwritten note when I go off to meet my friends or have a break or get some food, and he said. Um, loving father, watching after over daughter's stand while she has well-deserved break. And uh, everyone, when he's not there, goes, where's your dad? Like, he's such an integral part of the brand. And I think at first I was like, oh, you should stay back. And, um, like, I, I'm a grown-up now. And, I can, But actually, people love when you just embrace that. And, and that's my story. And uh, I'm so proud of having them as part of my family and, and my world. And so just embrace it. Um, and yeah, I think just really trusting in the genuineness of people and uh, being vulnerable with them and saying, hey, this is what's happened for me and this is where I'm at and um, just trusting that they'll, they'll like, hold you up when you need because business isn't easy and I do need a lot of support. Um, and meeting Charles, my partner, he's um, also in business and just the most incredible support because we're both living this dream simultaneously in parallel but different dreams and we have so much to offer each other and um, very grateful. So cute. <laughs> you should propose now, Charles. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, ruined it. Um, I would say definitely my husband's parents, like, they're amazing. If you've ever met South Americans, you'll understand. They're like Italians and Greeks and fabulous just they're there for you. They have helped us pack boxes. They've helped us unpack a hell of a lot of boxes. We've used their garage to store stuff. Um, they've made us incredible food while we were unpacking the boxes. Like we have done 35 pop-ups in Sydney and Melbourne. They've travelled, like my husband at one point when Lola was six months old, my daughter, um, my mother-in-law came with me on the plane and would look after her so I could have a sleep, which any new mum knows how freaking awesome that is. <laughs> and then my father-in-law drove with my husband in our van, Puckle, all the way from Melbourne to Sydney and helped, you know, um, take turns so they could get there at the same time that our plane arrived, which is physically impossible, but they tried. So they're just always there. They're fantastic. Even to this day, they look after Lola every weekend so we can work in the store. They're just amazing. So without them, there's no way we'd be where we are today. Aside from the fact when my father-in-law comes into the store, he's totally security. He's like, look, I don't like those people over there. <laughs> they look like they're going to steal something. And um, he's quite intimidating character, so people do steer clear. And my mother-in-law is always like, oh, I love that. I saw that on your little Instagram page, and that's really cute. I think that'll sell well, Kate. And you know, They're just beautiful. So without them, we really wouldn't be able to do what we do. Aside from all the other incredible suppliers we've met who have become family. We call them our brand family. Um, 
Charles is one of them. Um, we sell his great brand, Orbit Keen Store, and it flies out the door. And, you know, we've just met lots of great people over the time who have built their businesses in a similar fashion to us or at a similar time. And we all help each other out. We recommend accountants. We recommend software programs. We share, you know, all sorts of, I guess, business ideas. And it just lessens the load. So I think that was, so, was one of the biggest lessons for me when I started going out on my own too is the kind of people that I could then hang out with mm. just had a different mindset from mm. being someone who was working for someone else full time. Mm. And I didn't realise that that kind of community existed until I you know, didn't have to be somewhere else at nine to five mm. every day of the week. So that was one of the things that really woke me up, I think, was to think I don't have to do this all on my own. But I wonder, um, one of the things I think about, which you touched on really was that not everyone is going to be supportive of your leave. Mm. Mm. Not everybody wants you to necessarily take it because they're either afraid for you and they want to keep you safe and small and secure. So they actually have their very best interests, your very best interests at heart, but perhaps not really what you need to hear. What you actually need to hear is encouragement to say that you can do it or that we've got your back no matter what happens. Mm. Um, because I think sometimes families can actually be one of the reasons you don't take a leap. Mm. Um, and they're just coming from their experience. So right. they're possibly coming because they're scared or they've always had to be careful with money so they're worried for you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But do you, have you had... You sound like you've had some experience where people have kind of like actively you know, said, what are you doing that for? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, um, it's a little more grey than that, but um, there, there just can be a sense of competitiveness as creative people, um, but you can step outside of that by kind of uh, finding the supportive people. But what I actually find helpful is, is having friends that have completely different disciplines to you, because you can get out of your bubble and you can get kind of quite down on yourself and compare yourself to this other amazing writer who's doing wonderful things. And then you have a friend who's a teacher or a nurse or whatever it is. It can, it's just kind of, you see how diverse the world is and you can kind of get outside your little creative bubble for a second. Yeah. Um, so I find that really helpful when it might feel a bit competitive or toxic. Just yeah. be like, oh, there's other things happening in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you have something to add to that? I think for me it's also um, about when you're shedding a skin and evolving and people are so used to the you that you have been and suddenly you're this new you or you're, in a, you're changing and, and people are a little bit cautious about change and I think it's just over time, I guess, if the relationship's meant to work out um, in a friendship or, or connection, they'll, they'll evolve with you or they'll appreciate who you're becoming. But I think it's just measuring, like knowing that this is how people are feeling. They're just a bit uncomfortable with this you that you're becoming. So just being patient with that. And, and yeah, I think for me, over, overwhelmingly, generosity has just been so amazing by creatives. I was really surprised by how much people want you to succeed. And I think I can be a little bit suspicious sometimes, like, why are they so generous? But it's just because they want to see you do great things and they believe in you. And, and I think if you're doing that for other people, it's, yeah, it's a lovely community. And I think sometimes if you sense a bit of jealousy or a bit of envy, it's because potentially that person doesn't have the confidence to do what you're doing and maybe by you doing it, you can change that within them or you can not change that because that's probably up to them to do but inspire them to do that within themselves. Mm. Yeah, so being aware of actually their discomfort is often mm. a reflection back of where they're at rather than necessarily mm. anything to do with you. Yes, their own story. Yeah. 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 Um, so I wanted to talk about how you take care of yourself in the process of leaping, um, specifically around self-compassion. 
Do you guys have any particular practices about how you take care of yourself when you're kind of running around with hair on fire and 300 ideas of potentiality kind of running around? I think I'm not very good at that still. I'm very much all in, um, slogging it out, don't sleep, forget to eat, um, but it's just drive. I just have an insatiable, is that the word? Um, constant insatiable drive to, I just love so much what I'm doing that I just can't get enough, which is great, but it's also not that sustainable. So I'm two years in now and um, I definitely fall asleep. As soon as my head hits the pillow, I, I never have a problem with sleeping, which is great. Uh, but I think that's not going to be realistic for always. Uh, so I think lately it's um, been hiring my first employee, which has been two one week in and it's um, been Sally, incredible. <laughs> Thanks. I have to Zali. She helped us out today. Thank you, Zali. Um, and I can see how amazing it's going to be trusting in someone else to be there as your right hand and, and helping um, because it's just growing too big for me now. But yeah, I think ultimately um, self-compassion, I, I think I'm better at the compassion part, but the, the, the balance, I'm all in and that's my only way. I just don't, haven't worked that one out yet. Yep. Yep. <laughs> ditto, ditto. Um... Basically, the first, probably till we had Lola, was just adrenaline, 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 adrenaline. And my parents called me the whirlwind and I gave that a good talking to that name. Um, I think since having a child, I've just, it's forced me to just stop because it's now I have to be in a routine. Um, and that's been an excellent side effect of having a child, aside from the obvious one. Um, so having Lola means that she has to be fed well. I should probably eat at the same time she does. So I do now have three full-on meals a day, which is good. Um, and, you know, she goes to bed, you know, about eight o'clock. Well, we, we're not long after her, you know. Um, we just find that having her and being in a bit of a routine is actually made us look after ourselves which is really really good it's so easy to burn out it's so easy to be all in it's so easy to just throw yourself to just keep propelling forward but one thing I wish I could look back at at me two years in would be to say just stop and breathe girlfriend and just calm the hell down and have a little bit of a meditate or go for a walk or just be quiet and read your book that you love to read before bed I've always loved reading and I think for the first four years of business I read all I read was like order forms you know um and since I've got back into reading again I'm just so much happier and quieter and it's just so much better mm. so I think moving forward for me is, is going to be easier because I now give myself some self-compassion yeah but I certainly couldn't say that I have in the past yeah <laughs> yeah it's a practice that you learn right and you often learn it because you've crashed oh, crap big big time yeah. crash yeah so oh, good for the health. How can we avoid crashing, Madeline? Crashing. Well, I I wish that I had this perfect self-care routine given I interview people about their routines, but I don't. <laughs> um, but one thing that I think I've... A pattern that I've identified is that the dull days and the crashes are going to be inevitable. And instead of beating myself up when I'm kind of going through one, sometimes they can be sort of a, a day or two long, um, just recognise that I'm actually in a dull period and that I'm in an energetic low, a creative low... Um, and just enjoy watching Netflix for that time. Um, enjoy the solitude, and because there's always this lovely little kind of um, rise to it when you do kind of become re-energised if you allow yourself to rest and, and just sloth about. Um, I like to think of our creative lives like seasons. There's going to be the winters, but then there's going to be the spring. So I just kind of 
rug up and enjoy the winter now. Yeah, so I, the, the, the piece of work that I love around this was written by a guy called Tony Schwartz um, in The Powerful Engagement, and he talks about the fact that we can have on-seasons and off-seasons, and having kids at primary school, um, and anyone that's got kids will know that you become on their routine, on their calendar when they're at school, so you become school term driven and then school holiday driven. So I, for me, it's kind of like a school term is a sprint, so I know that for the next 10 weeks it's all guns blazing, I'm in, we're on a routine, school uniforms, lunches, get that stuff done because you're knowing that in the, there'll be two weeks where all, you know, all, it's all off, all, all off the table for a couple of weeks. So it's, it's, for me, that's one way of, it's helped organise my ideas and to realise that you know, we can expend energy, great amount of energy, but we need to then have times for respite and for renewal at the other side of that. Um, and that might not be whole terms. That might look like that in a week. You might have you know, days that are really full on, particularly at the beginning of the week when energy is high and the end of the week is more strategic or more planning focused or that's the day I get my hair done or I catch up with my bestie for lunch or something like that and that's okay. You know, we need to acknowledge that we're not actually designed to sit in front of a desk nine to five, five days a week, you know, every week of the year in and out. We are designed to cycle around through that and, and that's okay. Reading that book was actually a revelation because it was like, what? It's okay to rest? <laughs> you mean I'm not lazy? Like, you know... And there's so many entrepreneurial spirits out there where they've just like worked like dogs yeah. to get where they are and you kind of think is that the footprint is that yeah. what I have to do and that's quite I quite like Lisa Messenger's whole vibe is she gets up and she goes for a walk I mean depending on where she is but um and she has quiet time and then she hits the office at 10 and I'm like 10 yeah wow yeah like so much has happened by 10 and I kind of like that yeah, she's accomplished and she does what she does, but that's she still remembers that self-care every day. Yeah, and one of the reasons why I love working from home is that I can have a nap, you yeah, know, really? at like 2.30 in the afternoon. Boots. Yeah, in my boots. Well, that's the other thing. Okay. Yeah. It's not a bonus. <laughs> my work boots. <laughs> my desk. That's great. Um, I think we might actually open it up for questions now. So um, we have prizes for questions. Tess, they're really good. I've provided two of them. They're really good. So I hope you have been formulating some questions because we have prizes to give away. So um, who would like to ask their first question? All right. All right. All right. Suze, go. Hit us. Hit us with the question. You, you, you get a candle from the super cool that says... Champion, legend, icon, gangster. <laughs> That's right. So he's from the Connection Exchange. What's your question? I wanted to ask, I'm loving this, be less available and people will seek you out. <laughs> Am I speaking to you? Directly to the heart. <laughs> yeah, I would just really love to know how that's gone and how you made the shift and, yeah, what kind of brought that on. So talking to the point about being less available and people will seek you out. Um, so when we did our very first pop-up, we were at Melbourne Central, which is open all the time. And um, that was okay. But the second pop-up was at Pope Jones, Little Back, which is actually now their bar. Um, and we were 10 till 3 because I got to choose the hours. And I live across the road. So it took me one minute to commute. And I just thought, let's, let's just do it three days a week and let's see what happens. And so it was all about promoting that that's they were the hours we were available and we, we did that through social media and we always printed a postcard so people could take that with them on recycled paper to say, this is what we're about. 
Um, now, fast forward in six years, we're at the South Melbourne market. They're only open four days a week. And that just really sat with us as being, this is kind of what we're about. We want to be less available. So a lot of people still don't know what day the market is open because every market's open a different day, which is not very convenient of them all. Um, so we get people contacting us all the time saying, oh, I thought the market was open on Thursday and I was going to come down. So we, we have online. And so online is available all the time. That's a necessity in current environments. But the actual physicality of coming into our store is four days and they're eight till four, like weird retail times, which when we first started, we thought this is so not going to work. But we get people coming in at five past eight on their way to work, getting a present, getting a card. And so we've conditioned people to realise that, I mean, we don't get to control those hours. They're dictated by the market. So that's just worked for us. So it means Mondays is our family day. Tuesdays is bank jobs, groceries, clean the house. Boring. Um, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday are the shop days. And Thursday is our collect stock, run around, etc. days. And so we've got a very kind of strategic, boring routine now, but um, it works. The four days being open is great. People know that we're open. They respect that we're in the market and they come in and they know that that's the situation. Like just on the weekend, a lady wanted to buy a rug. She was just not sure. She had to think about it. And I said, just buy it online and collect it in store on Wednesday. That way you won't miss out on it. And so, you know, sure enough, today she bought it and she's going to come collect it tomorrow. So we've just conditioned, I, I think, our customer to understand that's when we're open. But having said that, we've done a Westfield Doncaster pop-up before Christmas that was open a gazillion million hours in the lead up to Christmas till like three in the morning, which was painful. And we had to staff that. And poor girls, you know, clocking off at three in the morning, I always felt really worried about their safety getting home and whatever. Um, But we've done that and that doesn't work for us. It doesn't sit true to who we are and our philosophy. So being less available means you're educating people to follow you and understand when you open. And not many retailers ask that because they're open all the time. We're also motivated by scarcity. It's, you know, it's totally. the Robert Cialdini thing. FOMO is real, right? Yeah. So um, you get to set your own terms. Um, yeah. You know, you get to choose how you are accessible. And in my own business with my practice, I have consulting clients on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Yeah. And they're the choices for when I meet with people. So yeah. I get to set the rules so that I have other times in my week that are dedicated to, the other to other things. things. And yeah. that doesn't always hold. Like, you know, there's flexibility in there but it's kind of like they're my boundaries they're my guideposts and they're my slots that I try and say well I can't I can see you but only you know down here so yeah you don't have to be available all the time and hopefully that whole concept I'm not sure what your leap is going to be but hopefully that concept means you have some balance in the other parts of your life because that's ultimately what we're all striving for we want to be able to do other things outside of this passionate leap that we want to take I think for me, one of my key um, boundaries is email. And one of the things that as soon as I set up my business is I set an autoresponder that someone told me to do because you can set the expectation on when you'll get back to someone and you don't uh, have that worry that, oh, no, they're going to... What if it's a really exciting opportunity and what if they're going to think I don't check my... I'm not going to get back. When, when am I going to hear from you? And I think 
for me, I also get the opportunity to showcase my brand straight away. I get a beautifully composed email going into their inbox, which is warm and generous and everything I want to be without investing that time. And then when I do have the time, I go back to them and say, and I'm here now. Um, but I love that quote, wherever you are, be all there. And I have those words in the autoresponder and a lot of people come back and go, oh my gosh, I just want to say respect and also thank you for that lovely email and I can't wait to hear from you when you reply to me and you can get super creative with that because when I've had it yeah Yeah. when I've had it as well and you know actually just say this is this is this is the jive here's a whole bunch of other stuff you can access in the meantime but particularly during school holidays is when I do that but you have it all the time which is and it also has an FAQ page that here's some things I get asked all the time um no I'm not taking on freelance work yes you can get this this is where I'm stocked um etc and I think it just sets the expectation for the relationship that I'm not going to respond to you in 10 minutes because I might actually be doing something else boundaries yeah. boundaries so I love that I think you someone down here Tess what, what do we have now all right now you get a copy of the purpose project by Carolyn Tate who is featured in the book in the leap stories book this is her latest book and this is all about discovering your why so it's super helpful and this is part of her pay it forward project so I was I bought a book and she gave me one to pass on so I'm now passing it on to you um, so there's a <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's all good. Hit us with it. Um, I'm wondering, there's two parts of my question. One is, what if you're competing against a business where they are going flat out? How do you compete with other people? And also, how do you know when enough is enough when you're free open and you stop going all right, so That's we're just going to repeat those questions. We're going to repeat those questions. How do we know when enough is enough? And how do we compete when there's a perception perception that somebody else is going hell for leather? The hell for leather one I'll answer. Constantly, constantly looking at other people and going, they do it so much better. Um, and when we had our daughter, I was like, suddenly I had to put some brakes on because she needed to be breastfed, she needed to be changed and there were classic moments in the Fitzroy store, someone would be banging on the window and I'm changing a nappy in the back room, you know, like, hello, running a business here. But um, at the end of the day, there are always going to be other people who can do some things better or get there quicker, but maybe that's their experience. For me, having a daughter halfway through the growth of our business, I mean, we started the business to be co-parents, so we wanted it to fit into our lives. So our journey has worked out just how it was meant to, but I needed time to work that whole sentence that I just said out. Um, And in terms of the... How do you know when enough is enough? I burnt out. I completely burnt out. had no health left. (laughs) Um, Just literally physically was a decrepit person and um, just reached a point where I went, I can't even stand up in store. I can't deal with staff. I don't even want to talk to the people who come into the store. I can't buy anything anymore. Adrenaline below 50, you know. So what would you say to that person now? Go back and give yourself a bloody break. Um, yeah, I wish I had of along the way been quieter, found my quiet moments, been a bit slower. My mum always said to me from the get-go, you are going to burn out if you don't stop. And, of course, mum's no best, but I didn't listen to her. So more self-compassion. Way more self-compassion. It's where it actually I starts. Had to, I had to yeah. go through that because this has been a pattern for me my whole life. I just go hell for leather, I get really excited and I don't stop and then I stop. <laughs> um, but I've, I feel like I've got it this time. I probably won't do that anymore. Yeah, I mean, your most important asset in your business is your mental health. Absolutely the number one most important thing. If you don't have your mental health, you don't have a business or it's much harder to have a business when you've got, when you're struggling with your mental health. And the basis of that 
in, if we talk about the energy stuff, is sleep, is making sure that you get enough sleep. And so prioritising your sleep is so important because if you don't get enough sleep, you're not capable of making good judgments. Your brain actually literally shrivels up and stops being able to function properly. You know, our prefrontal cortex just basically says, no, nah, I'm having an ass, I need a break, I don't care what you want me to do, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not checked in. So the sleep thing for me is super totally. important. Um, and that's so a self-compassion practice. That's like, I can't do this if I don't take care of myself. It's like, you've done enough for today. Go and have a sleep. You'll feel better. I admire better. the people who don't need a lot of sleep. Like, my husband doesn't need a lot of sleep to function. He can make great decisions and he's just born that way. I'm just different It's to him. just not normal. Seven to, it's not. Between seven and nine hours sleep. Yeah, it's not normal. Is average but he can do need. four or five and he's okay. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. But I'm grateful. But I, so I've done that for a couple of days and then kind of fallen over and been useless for like the next five. So it's kind of acknowledging that, oh, this isn't great, this isn't great, I'm going to catch up, this is going to catch up with me or I'm going to need a nap, a two-hour nap tomorrow, <laughs> you know, tomorrow during the day. But also, just quickly, even when you look at someone else, it's a bit like looking at their Instagram page, it's a filtered version of their life. So if you see someone else like really accelerating and you think, wow, I want to be where they're at, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know when they're going to burn out. You don't know if they're burning out of money. You don't know what's going on. So it's always the glamorous version. Yeah, I check like out of that. Ma- yeah, Anyth- anyone that gets you anxious, you've got to stop following. <laughs> You do. I, like, straight up, I really get very careful about what I consume. Yeah. What, what were you going to say? Uh, I was going to second you and say that I'm naturally um, very... I compare myself a lot to people doing similar things or or doing following their dreams or that kind of thing and think Charles is the person that brings me back and, he, and I think it's bringing you back to your why and your story and that no one does anything uh, like you and I think just remembering your why. And I think the question... Which that is in the book. You got the perfect book for that. <laughs> Meant to be. I need to read it. I think the um, the other element, and I'm not fully resolved on this, and I think I'm still figuring it out. Is the question I'm asking right now is, uh, what's the hurry in growing? Do I really need? What's the rush? Like I've got this is my life. I hope I will have quite a few years left, and um, maybe the joy is just enjoying the process rather than hurrying to the finish point. I don't actually have an end point, so what's the hurry? I don't really have this big five-year goal or point I want to hit. I'm loving every day, so is there actually a need to hurry there? Yeah. And, and also, like you said, only you can do what you can, yeah. you can do in your own way. So the comparison trap, the comparison is the thief of joy. Like I, that's, exactly. that's my favourite yeah. quote. And if I keep looking at what everyone else is doing, it takes me out of my own lane. And then I just become an echo chamber rather than, you know, creating something and doing something original of my own. Do you find... Oh, that, that's why I started Extraordinary Routines because I was comparing myself to people and I wanted to like get in their lane and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Show me, tell me. Um, so that's been... <laughs> Where are you at 8am? Maybe I can be there too and I can be as successful as you. Um, but so, the, um, yeah, like speaking to people, I think I've interviewed over 50 people about their routines now um, and it's just so humbling to hear everybody from Zoe Foster-Blake to Del Catherine Barton from Debbie Millman um, I'm just rolling off I know just names. like yeah. those names um, baby bring them on yeah. nothing uh, major <laughs> um, but they all say this they all say I, I don't know when it's enough I don't know if I'm doing it right and that's so awesome to hear that nobody knows if they're doing it right and it's that wonderful thing that Emma said about you know take your time you don't actually know where things will lead yeah. 
and no one actually knows where it's going to lead and you might die. So yeah. I know that's really morbid, but follow mortality yeah. musings. It's mortality musings, yes, exactly, <laughs> to keep reminding us. Yeah. Next question. Well, we've got a few. Okay. We have a bag of Tom's goodies to give away. So I think you might have been next. We might come down the front here. Thank you. Your question, nice and loud. Thank you. Thank you very much. I wanted to bottle a couple of the conversations together to ask my questions. So if you can think about the contributing factors, perspective and pay forward as three concepts in this question. My question is, how did you know that moment where your idea went from a conversation and exploration to actually becoming a business in a financial pay sense. So how did you know when your idea actually became a real thing? Yeah. Yep. I think my first tree tree was a bit of a big insight, like, oh, wow, this is real. But what about the time before that? Because to get to a trade show, you've had to decide, I'm going to make products. Yeah, I, I think it was a lot of just uh, intuition and, and just going oh, I've got to, I want to do this, how can I do that, and work backwards. But make, when I knew it was real, I think that was when I had stockists who would call me and order, and I'm like, all oh, right, I have to answer the phone now. And I, and I just knowing that it was real, uh, a lot of it had been in my mind, I suppose, um, before then, figuratively. Mm. Um, mm. I still think that, that there's a moment it. before that. Yeah. It's kind of like where you go, I could make some cards, I'm going to make cards, I have made cards, yeah. like, you know, like, it's kind of that. Well, yeah, I suppose, yeah, I guess so. Um, just. It's tough, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think so I've just always been doing it and not really taking it in until I realised I'd done it already. Yep. I don't know if that's a great answer. Uh, but I also, I think for me it was also uh, the product was well, not really the focus, it was the story, like, I think for me, I was living and launching this dream of mine and engaging the community around me and they were also invested when I launched it because I shared with them that six-month journey of figuring it out. So maybe it was that process as well that was real. Can I reframe the question a little bit? Because I ask this in the stories and it's the moment of when you decided to choose courage to do it. Did you, is, that what, is that kind of where you're getting at? Because for me, that's the, the one question in all of the stories I'm the most interested in is like, when did you decide leap. or how did, did you, you decide mm. yeah, to take the leap to go, fuck it, I'm all in, mm. I'm going to do it? Like, yes and no. So I, I think you've semi-answered that already. Like, I have an idea that I've been exploring for quite some time and whenever I talk to someone, there's always a vested interest and some conflict energetic conversation about how it's a great idea, keep going. But I haven't managed to turn that into a business that actually play, pays a wage as such. So you've started it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So for us it was, we gave ourselves a date, we wanted to do our first pop-up. We spoke to Melbourne Central, we said we want to do it here. They said these dates are available. We go, cool, that's the date. And then we went, right, that's two months away. We better start buying some stock, getting a brand, designing a logo. We didn't worry about staff because my husband and I did it. And we just went, right, we're working towards that date. It didn't become financially, like, break even until probably three or four months later um, because we had to invest so much initially. It wasn't lots, but you had to put money in. It was when, I think probably for me, in, to answer your question, I realised I could do this full-time instead of part-time, instead of doing my other business, 
when we took on, we had a lot of interest and I thought, ooh, there's something to this. We kind of tried this as an experiment and I feel like there's more to it and I feel like a lot of things worked out. There were a lot of synchronicity kind of events that happened all at the same time. Lots of people started saying, oh, we've got a spot you could, you know, pop up in. And someone else said, I've got product I'd like you to sell. So we kind of just suddenly realised there was a bit of magic dust in the air and we went, let's give it a go full time. But I went full time first before my husband did. Does that answer you? Yeah. I think as a freelance writer, it's a little bit different because... I'm probably more in the boat. I don't have a physical shop or... Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, so... Because um, I'm the service that I'm selling. Um, so it's kind of hard to pinpoint... Um, um, it's, it's tricky to pinpoint the moment. Is it when I started university? Is it when I started um, my, my internship? Or when I started a side project? Um, so I think... As a when you're the service, it's about building experience, and that experience can take a long time to pay off. Um, I'm I've kind of been a, a a writer for over four years, five almost five years now, um, and part of that was being a salaried worker, and some, now it's freelance, and it's only now at this tip of the five year point where I'm getting people coming to me in terms of magazines and things, and that's because of finally building a profile. So it's been very 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 slow. I don't know if that's helpful, but it's... I think it's, also, yeah, do you, I mean, you talked about the importance of setting a goal and a target and a date and having some concrete things working towards. So, and mm. like maybe there was a financial thing in there, like, you know, it makes sense now that I can go full time. But do you also think that there's a certain mindset of going, I'm in, like, this This is my business now. Yeah. I'm, go, I'm, I'm going pro in this, you know, and kind of like just saying mm. this, this is my business and so these are the goals and the targets that I want to meet. So it does, it's not about what anybody else says. It's kind of like, it's, this is, I'm going pro. So when I wrote, I, this is my second book, and when I wrote my first book, one of the things was, like, I've never written a book before, so, and I didn't really kind of own the title of being a writer and author until I owned the title of being a writer and an author, and I set my workspace up, like, well, if I was a professional writer, what, my, what would my workspace look like? What would my day look like? What would my goals be? Um, what would my routines be if I was a writer? And I claimed it. And so I bought myself a big screen and I stuck up things around me to help me and I bought candles and flowers and, you know, got my 25-minute sprints going and I, I behaved the way that I wanted to behave to claim the title of being a writer. So I think you claim it. Two more questions. Oh, we've got lots of products, though. Time's running. Oh, we've got a mega... Oh, mega <laughs> better be a good question. No pressure there. Well, it just leads me what you were, you were talking about your book, and I know that you also run consulting. So I took my leap when I realised I couldn't work for any other PR agency. I couldn't thrive um, for any other PR agency that was out there. So I took the leap six years ago, and in that time I've had three kids. Wow. And... Um, and I have that feeling of mortality as well, where I've got no time and all these ideas, one of which is writing a book, making my business easier to access other businesses so I can pass it on and can have that sense of community and share what I know with more people. And I just, it's just time. It's time. <laughs> yeah. The gift pack you're about to receive is time, okay? So, so I think these, like, how do I fit it all in or how do I do everything that I want? How do I write a book and have three children and being a consultant and a mum and build my business? Yeah, because I feel like even though I've been in business for six years, it still feels like my first year because I've got a one-year-old. Yes. Back to the start again. Yes, yeah. You know, 
how do I make that happen and run my business Self-compassion yeah. is what it comes back to. Your hands are full. Yeah. And grace. I don't know. For me, it's like it, um, have some self-compassion for where you are because it's not going to be like that all the time. I didn't write my first book until um, how old? It was, what, four years ago? So my kids were both at primary school. Um, I, I, so that was off the table, you know. Was, I don't know. We, that sounds very much to me like not doing enough. Like, I, you know, I should be doing more or I should be able to fit this all in or, or maybe if it's not, it's how. So what do you need to give up in order to create something else? Yeah, I was just going to say, Jade, I think you're a megastar for just even getting to tonight. Bloody oath. all of that. Absolutely. Um, but, <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, I think you, you could start just when you have the light bulb moment where you just go, oh, I want to put that in my book, just start jotting it down. Yeah. And as time goes on, maybe when your little one's a bit older and maybe when you find a staff member who you could take on who could be a bit more senior, maybe there'll be more time for you to put all those bits together and start to, like, kind of put the book together. There's no reason you can't start now in that initial yeah. phase, but maybe sitting down and writing the book right now from start to finish is just not achievable yeah. given your time... Yeah, and so, you know, we have this idea that, like, for me to write that book, you know, I created this scenario, but that meant I put a lot of other stuff on hold. So I kind of said, this is my priority for right now, and I have to put other things. But you, nothing's perfect. You'll never have the perfect conditions to start anything. And the amount of notes that I've got in my phone to, you know, of, I've actually got the beginnings of a movie script in my phone that every time I just think, oh, that would make a great scene, I just write it in my phone. You know, I dream about having a writing retreat, you know, in the woods for two weeks to kind of get the first draft done. That's just not going to happen. But just because it's not perfect doesn't mean that you can't make a start. But be compassionate with yourself as well, you know. Um, but And even just put it out there. I want to find a staff person who can help me yeah. in my current role so that I can find time to yeah. write. Because you just never know what... Yeah. Well, yeah. perfect. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, someone who cares like you do too. Do you have yeah. my card, We Can Do Hard Things? One of my cards on the seat says, We Can Do Hard Things. It is hard. It's not impossible. <laughs> there we go. Um, if there's anybody in the room that could actually offer some help because they were the wisdom in the room. I don't really have a question per se, but I'm sitting here. I've had a business. I'm doing a lead. And it's funny, one of you said, you know, you've done it all before. Here I'm thinking, oh, this is so hard. <laughs> and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, but I've done it before. Yeah. yeah. Shifting priorities and shifting um, the item. Yeah. What's on my plate and how do I move it around? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and how would you solve... What would you tell your best friend if she was in your situation? So this, this is a really good question to ask, is, and it's a self-compassion talk is if, if I found my best friend in this situation, what would I wish she would do for herself? That was actually the genesis of my leap. So when I was, you know, sitting at my desk four weeks before Christmas, working for a retailer, uncontrollably crying, and I thought, I can't, I just, I'm beside myself... Um, a friend texted me a fake Buddha quote that was... Um, we didn't realise it was fake Buddha at the time, but it was something that said, like, you can look the whole world for somebody who's more worthy of your love and affection. 
and um, but that person is you. You know, you are worthy of your love and affection. So, and that's the inner mentor voice as over the inner critic voice. The inner critic voice is I'm not doing enough, I'll never get to this, you know, why can't I make this work, you know, I don't have time, blah, 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 blah. The inner mental voice is the voice of the older, wiser version, more, more compassionate version of you that is there. And if, and if that's hard to find, think about, well, what would my best friend say or what would I say to my best friend in this situation? I hope that's helpful. Well, do we have? Oh no, we're running out of time. No, no, no. We, we're running because we've still got to finish it. We've got one more question. One more question. One more gift. Oh no! Oh, I love that you're all asking questions. Yeah. No, you, I'm sorry. You have had your hand up. Quite like sorry. I'm sorry, but we can talk afterwards after we mingle. Yes. Um, I just wanted to know how you go about filtering ideas that come in. Um, you know, for like so how do we filter all the new ideas when you're a curious, capable, juicy human being that has got lots of things going on in their head? How do you know what to give your attention to? I, I also comes back to the previous question in, in my mind. Um, I have a, like a one-day shelf that doesn't mean it gets discounted forever, but it can't happen right now. And then I have much more time for what I am working on. And that idea that you can't do everything. Any, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And, yeah, just focusing on a couple of things. I think, for me, I am actively asking my audience what they are seeking to make sure that what I am designing and making and putting out there in the world is useful and relevant. And it's what people want. So I'm very... Uh, my, e my email list particularly exceptionally engaged and I have focus groups and inner circles and I ask them actively, is this what can serve you and how can I make it better? It's very good. Um, I would say for us, we buy a lot of products so we don't make our own products. Um, but my husband's always banged on about us making our own products and I was in product development in fashion a long time ago and... It's a tough industry and there's a lot of people ripping other people, small creatives, off. Um, and so I just said to him, no, I want to be about championing people who are already doing it. So I've had to filter him. <laughs> um, great that this is being recorded and you'll hear that. Um, because at the end of the day, I feel like we that's who we are. But it, we did try doing some product um, collaborations and the candle is a product collaboration. There are certain things you can do that are collaborative and don't exhaust you. Um, but for us, it's about filtering the products that come to us. So we kind of know what is super cool, what is what is right for our audience, what's something we're missing, what resonates with us, what our customer will want. And that's taken six years to get to. I think it's constantly changing um, too. So I again, it comes back to, for me, that space to sit there and go, is this right? We've made lots of bad decisions with product as well. So it's learning from that. So don't be afraid to make a mistake. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Madeline? Um, for me, in terms of organising project ideas, article ideas, places I want to write for, um, I highly recommend bullet journaling. So for me, that's been really good because at the start of a bullet journal, you do your future planning. So it's got a six-month space. You create this all yourself and there's a great YouTube video to watch um, to help you do that. But it kind of gives me a nice six-month overview and then I can start doing little monthly breakdowns on what I'll attack that month and then that day. So that's really helpful for kind of the immediate, this is what's happening this year. But then um, similar to the question that Jade was asking about uh, how do you sort of fit it in, um, like big projects. I, 
have this problem of kind of fitting everything into this timeline and to try to let go of that um, and think that, and all that pressure to do it all now and do it all before I'm 30 and all these kind of things. I've just made this 100 things I want to do before I die. I sound very morbid and obsessed with death. Um, <laughs> but it's just kind of helped me kind of say, oh my gosh, I could be doing this in my 70s I want to. And, I, and things will change and there's no pressure to do it right now. So there's the pragmatic bullet journal and then there's the kind of, ha, huh, this will, you know, one day kind of list. Yeah. So we need to wrap up. So I'm keen to ask you, what are some final thoughts that you would like to make sure that people leave with? Perhaps things that you wish you knew when you were taking a leap or just the best advice that you could possibly share with somebody else? Oh, let me say, so hard. <laughs> I think it's, this has been touched on already, but I just like it as a takeaway of don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. That's the biggest trap that I get is comparing myself to other people and the, the highlight reel on social media. So stop that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would just come back to, um, perhaps because I'm a little bit older than you ladies, um, that I would come back to just giving yourself time to work things out and be kind to yourself through your leaps and journeys and business ideas. It doesn't matter if it fails. I'm a big believer. Um, when Kylie interviewed me for the Leap Stories, um, I think there was a question about failure. I can't remember how it was asked. And I just thought I've never looked at leaping as a... Fa I've had a lot of jobs. I've got a lot of different super accounts. And um, it's a pain in the ass to roll them all over. And, and I just... I don't care. People used to go, man, I can't keep up with you. You've changed jobs so much. I just was... I've always been curious. I've always wanted to try lots of things. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We look at someone not staying in a job. You know, it's not every three months. I kind of changed every two or three years. But um, just try... There's nothing... But nothing bad will happen. You will still be alive, <laughs> unless you're going to be a skydiver. Um, but just try. Just give it a go. There is no harm. The worst that can happen is you have to pick yourself up and go and work at 7-Eleven, and that's not the worst. Yeah. Uh, I would say to say yes as much as possible and then figure it out. And to add to that, everything is figure-outable. Uh, because, yeah, totally is. Just I like you make up lots of words. It's good. <laughs> I think I think that's a Marie Folio yeah, thing, is. right? Yeah, Marie Folio, everything yeah. is figure outable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she says it in her American way, but yeah. um, figure outable. Yeah, that's good. I like that. She's great. Um, well, I have. Should we give them a round of applause to thank them? Okay. Now we're totally over time, and they're totally going to tell us to kick out to get out any second. But I have one thing that I need you to do before we leave, and you have. 60 seconds. Um, there's a great book by a woman called Tara Moore called Playing Big, and in it she actually has a whole chapter on what it looks like to take a leap. And she defines a leap as something that you can execute in the next two weeks, something that puts you in front of the people that you want to have impact with, and something that gets your adrenaline going. So you need to pick up your phone in your notes sections, or pick up your pen and paper, or pick up your diary, whatever you have, and I want you to choose at least one thing that you can do in the next two weeks for your leap. You have 60 seconds. Go. One thing. It's got to put you in front of the people that you aim to serve. It's not about registering a domain name. It's not about, you know, faffing around on Photoshop for a logo. It's not about that. It has to involve somebody else. It has to involve emailing that person that you want to reach out to, setting a date for that workshop that you want to run, sending that prototype to whoever it is, something that puts you in front of the people that you want to serve. 
that involves someone else in the next two weeks, in the next two weeks, gets the adrenaline, feels scary, feels like crap. Yeah, this is homework. I'm big on homework. Has everyone got something? Yes? Something in the next two weeks? Taking a little leap? We start. So asking somebody for a coffee date, submitting an idea to somewhere that you'd like to work with. Yeah, sending a prototype. Just putting on your website that this is what you do now and sending out an email to people that you know and asking them to support you. Putting it on your Facebook page or whatever that this is what you do now. Yeah, asking for some support. We got it? Yeah. (laughs) There's some sceptical looks in the room. (laughs) All right. Um, We also have a Taking the Leap workshop next Wednesday night. So if you are serious about taking the next step and you would like to do it in a bit more of a structured way and perhaps with a small group of people who would also like to do that, we're running a workshop next Wednesday night at General Assembly um, from 6 till 8.30. So I would invite you to come along to that and I'm going to send you some information about that tomorrow. So I hope to see a few of your faces there. That would be really good. We also have an Instagram for business and work-life design workshop as well if you would like to partake in those. On your seats is a survey for the Small Business Festival. They would be mighty grateful if you could take a moment to fill that out before you go today and you could leave them with us. Thank you, everyone, for coming along. Thank you for participating. Thank you for your attention. I hope that it was useful and it was helpful. And I would love to know what your leap is in your next two weeks. So feel free to email me those. You have my card. You also have a $5 voucher for the Super Cool store. No strings. You can come in and just get a card. You can just come in and get a $5 card. There's a little discount card for Emma Kate's store as well, her beautiful stationery. Our beautiful publisher Tess over there has some of her other books, including Conversation Series, Owning It, which if you're a creative and need to get some your head around copyright rules, it's a brilliant book. There'll be a few snacks and things before they officially really boot us out of the building. But thanks for coming along and I really appreciate all your questions tonight and I look forward to seeing your leaps. Thank you very much. Good luck. I hope you enjoyed this special episode of In The Company. If you've loved what you've heard, please leave a review on iTunes and share the link with anyone who could do with a little bit more courage to take a leap of their own. To purchase your copy of the Leap Stories book, please visit ofkin.com forward slash leap. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode. I look forward to being in your company again soon.